Welcome to the Countryside Alliance's new series of podcasts. In each episode, we'll be speaking to a luminary from the world of hunting, shooting or fishing. We'll find out what makes them tick, what they love about the British countryside and, crucially, what they think the future holds for our rural way of life. This week, your host is me, Sam Carlyle, the manager of the Alliance's Campaign for Shooting. Welcome to the first of the Countryside Alliance podcasts. Today we have as our guest Charles Jardine. If you've been fly fishing for any time at all, you'll almost certainly have heard of Charles. He is a world authority on trout fishing, acclaimed and renowned author and artist, and most importantly for us at the Countryside Alliance, runs and founded the programme Fishing for Schools, which is one of our charities and something we're very proud of. Welcome, Charles. Thank you. Gosh, Sam, live <laughs> up to that if I can. Ha! No, no. <laughs> no absolutely, you always do. Um, hardly. Uh. The, the, um, so we're, we're in the middle of uh, COVID-19, obviously a pandemic which has taken the world somewhat by, by surprise um, and is, is pretty appalling and has tragic consequences. But also for you living down um, in, the, in the south near the chalk streams, you're just getting ready for your season on the trout, just about to hit the river, and now we're in lockdown. How, how are you coping with that? Um, I'm miserable in the word. Um, Sam, it's purgatory. I'm literally a field and a bit away from some of the heaviest granum hatches, which is our earliest, as you know, hatching caddis. Um, and it's just horrible because I'm seeing fish rise. I'm seeing a velocity of hatch that I've seldom seen for years. And the river is in perfect order. But like everybody else, we're complying with the lockdown and we've got to. Um, this thing is bigger than the sport. It's bigger than, it's probably the biggest thing in our lives, actually. And we underestimate its effect, its reach. And just about every other area that it touches in our lives um, to, our, well, I don't think we can underestimate it at all. And that's, that's my honest opinion. And just not fishing for a couple of weeks or a month, maybe two months, is a small price to pay if it saves a life, really. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. It is um, agony, particularly for those of us who are used to, um, used to going outdoors. I know I had a fishing trip, uh, which I was much looking forward to, cancelled as a result of this. And, um, you yeah, know, it was, it was pretty painful for a couple of days. But as you say, when you put it into the perspective of the larger scheme, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty small fry. But fishing, fishing, Sam's been my life. It's been my life for 60 years, um, believe it or not. And, you know, not to go, this is the first, first time in all that period that I haven't celebrated what I call St. Trout's Day, which is April the 1st. Mm. And, it, you know, that, that is, it's kind of hurt, that hurts. And it, it, it does chime a little bit with the soul. And you, a bit of you cries inside because I am as passionate now about fishing and I think probably because I'm looking at sunsets rather than dawns in my life um, but you know I'm as passionate now as I was when I first picked up that fly rod all those years ago and you know not to do it is is, is not much fun. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, one of the things about fishing, particularly obviously uh, trout fishing on the chalk streams, where a lot of the time you'll be using uh, dry flies, is the very, very visual nature of it. I mean, to keep me sane through this period, I've been imagining being on the riverbank. There's one particular place I really love uh, up on the River Tweed in the middle reaches on a beach called Merton. And there's a pool there that uh, I fish every year and the line comes around with perfect tension and invariably just at one point a salmon always takes it with a solid thud and I've just been replaying that image in my mind um, probably about 10 or 15 times a day during the lockdown wondering when I'll next be there is there a, a kind of classic image for you from your from your fishing that you're you're replaying in your mind a kind of fixed memory I mean, the, all of it's a tapestry, actually, mm -hmm. and it, it tends to fuse. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm in awe of somebody that can, like yourself, that can actually pinpoint one thing, one essence. But it, if I was to just find the very epicenter of, of what I do and why I do it and, you know, something that I would like to replay in my mind, it, it wouldn't be in this country, strange enough. It would be in Idaho. And it would be on Henry's Fork, and it would be um, Harriman State Ranch, and it would be a place called Millionaire's Leap. And there's an island there, and it was the first place I ever came to to fish in that area. And I sat there, everyone has said it was rubbish, there was not going to be any fish. And I sat there and I watched a whole pod of rainbows just working around that island. And I thought, surely they won't take an English fly. And they did. But there was another time uh, going further north, fishing with my son. And, and I think angling is one of those rare things that it's one of those sports where it's lovely to be isolated, but it's even better to share the experience. And I was fishing um, with Alex, uh, my son, and we were fishing the upper Missouri. And we hit a trico hatch and I still replay this because there were a corridor and I kid you not there was a corridor of rainbows around 100 yards long just feeding on a whole chain of tricos first thing in the morning and Alex and I just sat on a bluff just watching this and we caught a few but it was just the sheer magic of sharing that experience it really was wonderful and I can I you know that, that that but all of them all every single little moment you crystallize and it's that vision that you crystallize and i think it just forms as i said that tapestry yeah i mean it sounds like like pretty pretty wonderful um images i fished out out west in the states a couple of times and but i've never made it to um the missouri or the uh henry's fork but heard oh. heard a lot about them but i've heard that the missouri is just a kind of factory for for kind of dry fly fishing and has oh, incredible hatches and incredible Sam, it's stunning it, it it surpasses anything you ever heard about it and once the dawn is over you have that sort of lull and then you kick into the caddis activity in the evening it just goes absolutely mad it goes insane and it really right. is just it, it's extraordinary and what is it? What is it that makes it so kind of prolific on the on the insect? I don't actually? know. I mean, I, it's the tailwater, which means it comes out of a dam and it's got a fairly regular flow. It's got a fairly even temperature. It's got great weed. I don't know. I mean, it, it's one of those things where everything comes together, and it, it, it's this um, 
this crystallization of everything is just sort of balls together and creates this unique habitat. And it's a bit like a chalk stream. And I'm, I'm really fortunate being down here, but those rivers out there, or even in the East, um, the tailwaters seem to be this, have this ability to be able to create the insects, to create the habitat that is perfect for fish, for trout especially. And they just get big mm. and they eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the obviously having a regular flow like that, you know, it's they're, they're not suffering perhaps in the same way from abstraction and decreased no. flows that we might encounter um, with some of our very precious resources in this Although country. Although in some cases, I mean, this is where the parallels come with, with perhaps the UK is that you get an awful lot of um, instances, certainly in Idaho, where the potato farming takes over because, you know, at the end of the day, these places are used for irrigation. So if you've got a dry year, the rivers really do suffer because of all the irrigation right. going onto the fields. And when you talk about a field, I know you live out in the eastern parts of the UK where you've got big fields. Believe you me, they look like postage stamps by comparison. They're vast out there. They're huge. Mm, no, they are, I, I've seen some of those pretty, pretty, pretty enormous. Um, and, and you mentioned kind of the, the essence for you of these uh, trout, these wild trout in, in, mm. um, in these Western United States, quite a rugged area of the world, uh, sipping dry flies as the apogee. And I've spoken about, um, you know, a, a salmon take. Your father, as I understand, was a famous salmon angler, um, but you seem to have gravitated more towards trout i mean why why have you done that well i never understood salmon <laughs> i mean every it just seemed like really good casting practice to me and i thought well i don't know if i want to do that um and i i think it it a salmon fisher alex is a salmon fisher it sort of skipped a generation i i didn't want to go that route we had a little chalk stream in kent um the lesser stir the little stir and I adored it and I grew up sort of cutting weed and doing all the things that a young boy should do perhaps. And um, I just fell in love with the whole thing. I fell in love with the fact that we had fish breeding there. Um, I, I like watching them breed. I, I love the idea of the food in which they ate. So I started to look in closer at the habitat. I loved everything about trout. There's, there's, there is nothing about a trout that I find um, anything other than lovely, actually. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there are some big gnarly old brown trout that I think probably would be hard to love. But um, it, it, no, there, there's some. There's a there's a wonderful economy about a brown trout, I think, or or even a rainbow, and that they're, they're worth my time. Whereas a salmon, I've never felt. <laughs> You're going to hate me for saying this. I've never felt that a salmon is worth my time. <laughs> what an awful thing to say. But, I mean, I like catching them, and I have caught quite a few, um, but I've never known exactly why. Right. So, it, I mean... trout, I know why, or that, I know why I haven't. That, for me, is the absolute attraction of a salmon. It's this kind of slight uncertain philosophy. You know, you're, you're, you're trying, I mean probably falsely or trying to anthropomorphize the fish really think like it imagine what it's feeling in a in a quite um transcendental way really whereas when i look at when i go trout fishing which i also obviously love and i couldn't agree more with you that they're 
enchanting fish and and where they live is also um often enchanting as well but it seems i think it's the knowing the fact that there's an exactness or a pattern yeah. or you're fishing for something that's feeding that i find probably less intriguing or beguiling than than the salmon oh you see we could have this debate this should go into the fly fishers you know this should be one of the debating points um but it you know it, it that really sums it up for me is it, it's all about the atmosphere it's all about i mean a fr very dear friend of mine david profumo said about the salmon it's a manic depressive of the fish world and i couldn't agree with him more i mean have you ever seen anything other than a miserable looking salmon? it always looks surly a trout has always got a, a jaunty nature to it and there you have it and if you look at the salmon anglers it's all about the crack it's all about sitting in lodges having lunches and all the rest of it and then occasionally they go boom oh let's go fishing for a little while you know with a trout fisher it's total sorry but there no, you i are. think that i think i'm not quite sure. i like the crack and i like the lodges and there you are you, you see? anyone who's seen me would 100 percent know that i like the lunches as well but the um i think <laughs> that the the actually i think kind of working on a fish and trying i think the manic depressive <laughs> Um, attitude is is quite right they are incredibly surly and I think it's the enjoyment of knowing that you've tempted one almost psychologically uh, or at least that's what it feels like for the fishermen I think you've upset it I don't think you've caught it you've upset it to a point where it's gone oh look yeah I, <laughs> I it probably does it. it takes me back to school days where you're trying to tease someone until they snap that's probably it um, but, I think but Sam there is an art to it because I've not got that art that Alex has I mean he has this innate ability to be able to read water reconditions my father had it you've probably got it and every other good salmon fisher has probably got it where they actually correlate the conditions the water height and almost have this instinct that says right we've got to go now boys otherwise we're going to miss the opportunity and he's had that on several occasions certainly you know up in scotland and done incredibly well i haven't got that um so you know it it's probably a lot more cerebral which explains why you're a better salmon fisher than i am i think the cerebral point is a is a good one but it is um it is amazing how how different i think if you're not a fisherman you probably lump in trout and salmon as vaguely similar but it is amazing how different uh, uh even though it's both fly fishing it is a totally totally different um, approach, different equipment, different style of fishing, and different philosophy. Well, it's a different fish, if mm. you think about it. Um, you know, a sea trout, you could argue, is a brown trout that runs to sea. Um, and I think that's, you know, pretty much proven. Whereas the salmon, I mean, we still don't know very much. It, everything that we have, every, every vestige of philosophy, science, everything else, we still there are still things about the salmon we, we don't understand, and I don't suppose we ever really will. Mm. And that catches people, but it doesn't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's caught me um, absolutely fully. The, the, and one of the things kind of perhaps linking to the cerebral nature of fishing and salmon fishing in particular uh, is that during lockdown, we haven't been able to get out, out onto the river. Um, I know I've been rediscovering some some classic books on on wildlife nature uh all sorts of field sports and thinking about it a bit more often it certainly made me um a much more nostalgic character i think looking back with melancholy on on the uh either the fun times that i've had in the past or or the kind of wisdom of of, of people before me 
Um, I just wondered if you felt that fishing perhaps is a more philosophical field sport than others, if it has that dimension for you, something that's very thoughtful. I don't think so. I mean, if you read some, I, I don't shoot and I never have. It, it was always too noisy for me. But um, um, I hope that doesn't make me a bad person. But anyway. No, not at all. <laughs> but, you know, there's this many good books written about shooting. Um, you know, the great, the great sh shots in years gone past, um, Payne Galway and all those. And they, they were great literary men. And I think wherever you've got a passion, you've got a good literary good basis of literature to jump from so i think angling is just part of it if you look at you know somebody i don't like peter scott um and you know a great wildfowler in his day people forget this and out of that wildfowling came his love of birds and so you've got books and you've got illustrations you've got art so country sports has always had this wonderful sort of grounding in art in literature in a whole bunch wherever you've got passion you've got these mm. things and i think angling is just part of that really no, i think that's a very 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 good point indeed and definitely true about um the literature that surrounds you know not just fishing but as you mentioned shooting or, or deer stalking or anything where you come in contact i think with nature that's so um beguiling and full of mystery and makes you uh feel somewhat precious to be witnessing the the working of of the natural land around you um produces produces incredible literature no i think um, it can be summed up in one word passion mm, absolutely one of the one of the obviously the most famous uh books on fishing was is isaac walton's the complete angler which is full of this i quite enjoy it the premise for those who don't know is that leaving london a fisherman and a hunter um meet and they begin a dialogue where uh, they try and persuade each other that their art form or their passion is superior to the others. And um, one of the refrains of, of the fisherman's argument is that uh, angling, you know, anglers need to um, study to be quiet, which I always thought was a rather wonderful phrase. And um, as Charles said, shooting was, you know, too noisy. It's quite difficult to study to be quiet when, you're, when your pastime involves gunpowder. But I, 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 I um, wonder you know, whether that's, that's a kind of something that, that resonates with you or whether this is all you know, a bit too nostalgic, really, from the realities of fishing. No, not really. I mean, the, I, I think there's an awful lot of, you know, some of the recipes emanating from Mr. Walton might be slightly dubious nowadays. The idea of eating chub is not high on my agenda, no matter how hungry I am. But... Um, it, I, I think if you go back in time, you, you look at these, you look at a, the thread that seems to come through is, is this oneness with nature, with the natural world. And I, in some ways, Sam, we're losing that. You know, nowadays, if you look at, I mean, I'm not talking about salmon fisher because I think that's, that's slightly more philosophical. But if you look at the, the average um, fisher, say on a reservoir it's about the fish in fact i've just made that comment to someone on facebook where they've missed the point entirely about a, a, a piece i've put up there it, it you know we must start to think in terms of the beauty surrounding and everything surrounding about what we do not just the pure capture of the, of the quarry and that's a troubling 
move I've seen in recent times. It really is. And, uh, you know, I wish we would go back to that rather than not misty eyed nostalgia, but a time when, you know, other things mattered equally. And, you know, a fish was a part of the thing. And heck, I'm, I'm the first one to say, look, if you're going to go out fishing, the whole idea is to catch a fish. I mean, you know, it, someone said, oh, you learn an awful lot by having a blank. No, you don't. You learn not to have one in future because it's not a nice experience. But, you know, I'm happy with one fish. I'm happy with two fish. But I'm, I'm less happy with catching lots and lots and lots of fish because it's like Groundhog Day. Why do I need to do that? And things like Walton actually revisiting them and re-looking at them teaches us that there's slightly more to this whole sport than perhaps just the pure fundamental of catching fish i absolutely agree with that i was um there's a there's a spanish philosopher called jose ortega gasset who writes quite a lot about shooting and hunting and, and has this he writes kind of about our instincts and really why we do it and and one of his lines is that he says that we um don't hunt in order to kill we kill uh, in order to have hunted and I think that's very I thought immediately that that's very true of fishing you know we don't fish in order to catch we catch in order to have fished um, and to have that's enjoyed that enjo yeah, enjoyed like that, that whole experience um, <clears throat> uh, to have been on the water to have had this you know walking on a footpath next to a river strikes me as uh, something that's full of observation you know you're like a tourist and then as soon as you have a rod you become this incredible participant in the entire ecosystem that's around you you're you're much much more deeply involved in it um and that's that's in you know thinking about the the movement there from this um kind of misty-eyed rosy tinted past into the present and and perhaps you know fishing uh, uh in reservoirs what what since you've been fishing um what have been the real kind of developments in fly fishing obviously some you've mentioned one that's perhaps not so positive but uh, you know some more positive ones or, or or more concerning ones but you see i i've said that rather against myself sam because you know i've just come back from new zealand being part of the commonwealth team and um you know there the whole idea is to catch fish but you know at no point would i say i mean there's a horrible term and there's a distinction made between pleasure fishing and match fishing. And to me, it's all pleasurable. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, I hate the distinction. It should be pleasurable. Um, and I think it, it's a double-edged sword because it, if there's been one huge change um, in recent times, it has been the, um, the move towards competition. And whilst people have derided that of, um, and looked at it very closely to say, well, we don't want any part of that. They actually have benefited from all the advances made from what these people have created, the styles, the style of fishing, the nymph fishing philosophies, the, you know, the Czech nymphing, the French nymphing, all these kinds of, you know, even dry fly fishing has changed hugely. Um, the tackle has changed hugely. And that's spread globally, not just in this country, but globally. So I think we can see things as being positive and negative. It's a strange situation where, you know, I'm saying, well, you know, I'm not particularly keen about this, but I will certainly benefit from the, the, the aftermath. 
Um, so uh, the biggest change for me, um, gosh, um, what has been the biggest change? Well, you don't have to single out one, yeah, the biggest, but just something. Well, it'd be good to do that, I think. I mean, I, certainly, it, it's, it's, I think it has been that our approach. Um, and, and the internet, I know it's a curse by many, but the ability to correspond with others in other nations and find out what they're doing and how they're doing it and absorb it into your own way of, of fishing. I think that's been the biggest change, the openness of, of dialogue and ideas. That has been the biggest change. That's it. very, very interesting. Yeah, so basically someone <coughs> adopting an approach, let's say in Poland or New Zealand and being able to share that with someone in Idaho or, or Absolutely. England. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the biggest change. I mean, irrespective of the tackle and all the rest of it, that, 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 that's just going to happen anyway. But it's, it's how that tackle is used. That's been the biggest change, I think. And, and perhaps a slightly more kind of controversial question. I, I assume that, that now the chalk streams, um, or at least you know, in a world before uh, the current pandemic, chalk streams are kind of busier than ever though they're being stocked and 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 you know day rods are being sold um and i just wonder if that obviously is hugely important to uh, in many respects the maintenance of the river and also the local economy um and provides employment and gets people access to these streams um, and i just wonder having read um you know where bright waters meet by uh how plunkett green whether you think that that's a kind of double-edged sword or if you feel that, you know, anything, I, I just wonder if you could kind of comment on that. Absolutely. Um, I've lived through the whole lot of it, Sam, um, when you couldn't, you know, where it's often said that even God couldn't get a day on the test. And now, you know, for the price of, you can get a rod wherever you want. Mm. So that's changed hugely. The other thing, too, is there's been, in the last two, three seasons, been a massive, massive change to um, how areas are run, parts of the test, the upper test especially, and now virtual wild, wild trout rivers. They're going back to what they always used to be. The populations are sustainable. Um, yes, there are areas in the middle test which are always going to be stopped because that's, it's almost a commercial venture, if you like. Mm. But that that you know, let's not let's not under underrate that because that that is fueling, as you rightly say, the economy for that. So you've actually got a perfect well. You've got an area that is purposely and beautifully designed naturally for progeny of of trout and the and and the increase of them, and then you've got this other bit which helps the economy, and we've got now probably the finest group of young keepers that we've ever had in the history of those chalk streams. They're caring, they know their business inside out, the Parker boys, uh, John Hall down at, at um, uh, Broadlands. These guys are absolute legends. They're geniuses at what they do. And they put their river before anything else, anything mm. else. And I think rather than seeing um, these chalk streams being almost moribund they're not they're becoming um springs of 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 a new age really and i just hope and pray that um 
this current pandemic doesn't bring a halt to everything because it was all going in the right way last season. That's a fantastic kind of vision of hope for the future. Um, it really on, is. On those. Um, and and going looking to the future, you know, we've spoken about the the past quite extensively, and and some developments and changes that you've seen. And what going forward, um, apart from the the river keepers um, that are doing such good work on on the conservation of the chalk streams, what other things do you think are, are vital for the survival of of fly fishing um, for the future? I think a, a realization that things are going to change when we can go back and fish. I think. There's an awful lot of waters that will probably go broke. Um, it, it, it gives me no joy in saying this. I think reservoirs are, are teetering on the brink. They were last year. It's going to be even worse this year. And let's not forget what reservoirs provide. And it's all very, it's very easy for me to say that with the, with the Avon just slipping away just beyond a tree line, beyond, just a, away from me. Um, just, it, you know, the worth of a Blagden or a Chew or a Rutland or a Grafham or an Ibrook or a Drakeford or who, wherever you go, they offer cheap fishing to a magnificent quarry for a, a much greater population um, than a river ever could. And also it takes the pressure off rivers. You know, rivers can't sustain too much angling all the time. So, you know, I, I do worry a little bit about the future of these still waters. And, and I think if I got one message to anyone and I hope you know we do get more than perhaps you know two people listening to this um, my my plea to them is when we're all finished when we can finally go out is get out there and support fisheries go mm -hmm. fishing take the family fishing it's really essential and get them to I suppose immerse themselves in the thing that both you and I've loved yeah, absolutely. And I think it is, it is, um, you know, I, I certainly, uh, although I had the chance to fish two weeks without catching anything in, in, in Scotland as a youngster, you know, I remember very well going and, and being taken by my um, erstwhile father while he sat on the bank to a local um, rainbow trout lake in Suffolk and, and uh, spending hours there trying to, and mostly failing to outwit <laughs> The trout in there and it is exactly that it's a um, affordable way to get into the sport um, mm. and to develop a love for it and that's kind of brings me on to um, your your the charity fishing for schools uh, which is obviously doing incredible work in encouraging young people to um, learn how to fish and and putting fishing as something that's really transformative in their lives perhaps you could uh, tell us a bit about that, how it, how mm. it started, um, I'd love to. why you got involved in it. Well, it all started with one school in Tewkesbury, which seems rather strange. Um, they came to us at the Alliance. Um, we didn't have a TCAF, a Countryside Alliance Foundation in those days, which was just purely the Alliance. And they asked if we could help. And um, someone said, well, look, you know more about this. I had a you know, history of teaching. Um, and I looked at it and got cracking and we did our first course and they liked it and rebooked and then we started to work out how we could and just sorry just what what, what does the course involve well I'll come on to that because it's okay. cha changed a lot um, I made it absolutely abundantly clear that we had to have a target we had to have an educational basis for what we did you couldn't just go and take kids fishing uh, we 
the whole idea was to actually go and meet the demands of schools that um, had young people in it who there were barriers to learning, be it, you know, all sorts of reasons why I won't go into those here or now, but there were barriers to learning that we felt that they could be broken down by taking them fishing or at least discussing fishing and using it as a template to go on to other things. And so we formally sort of formalized it into um, blocks where you have, say, four, four day courses, which would involve being in the classroom, going out, reinforcing what you were doing in the classroom, dee -da -dee -da -dee -da, with, with an educational basis on it. Now that's changed over the 12 years. And now we're embracing things like BTEX, AIMS, um, the Angling Trust Cast Awards, and all these are qualifications, some are minded by um, GCEs and go on to a, an accredited form. Others, perhaps one would argue, are just tokenist, but they may well be, Sam, the only thing, the only thing that those young people ever achieve in their lives. And they did it through angling, and they'll never forget that. So you give them this opportunity to learn, but you also give them uh, this bedrock of angling to go back to at any time. But we don't use fly fishing so much. We used to, but we've come away from it, and we use an awful lot of course fishing um, in order to help us because it's achievable, it's obtainable, um, and it it's cheaper if they want to go on their own actually absolutely yeah and there's nothing wrong in catching a roach there's nothing wrong in catching a perch there's nothing wrong and i have to tell you that when you see the faces of somebody catching a carp on a fly um on a pellet imitation i'm gonna show you a kid that is beside them they don't even they don't they have no idea of the electricity generated by that carp's first surge. It's amazing, amazing. And it's life transforming, actually. It really is. But not just for the, the young people, but for the coaches too. I mean, we're a dedicated bunch. And I've got the best team you could ever wish to find anywhere in the country. That's amazing. And, and how many schools do you work with um, at the moment from that? Well, none at, just the, one at Duke's not, none at the moment. <laughs> well, how many schools were you working, working with before? Um, I don't, uh, uh, we're on 34. We, we had, amazing. Well, we, we had more. Um, but because, you know, like everyone else, being part of a charity, you have to mind a balance sheet as much as you have to mind what you do. Um, out in the field so we realized that we, we stood a chance of overheating so we actually took a step back and said look what can we afford what can we do so the more we can actually raise in terms of funding and all the rest of it the more we can do so we've got it back to a rate that we we feel is sustainable and then we're going to move on from there and trust me we will move on i'm not going to let this pandemic um stop us no, absolutely. And I um, heard you speak on, on Fishing for Schools uh, a month or so ago, and you told some amazing stories. Perhaps you could share um, some, of the, some of the things that have touched you personally and, and things you've heard of. From well, the, I from think, the I mean, one, a very sobering one. I mean, just before we had that evening at Farlow's, I think it was, um, we heard that a, a young person had actually turned around and said that Fishing for schools and the association with angling had stopped him getting into gang um, 
activity. Now that really, I mean, if it's just that one person that stopped mm. being sucked into that abyss, that dark hole called gang, gang warfare or gang, gangland activity, then, you know, and I don't think either of us or indeed anyone listening to this podcast has got any, any idea just how obsequious, how sinister these young gangs are. They're controlling, they're manipulative, and they, they suck people into this, this desperate place. Um, so to even save one person is enough. But, you know, I, when you sent the questions through, I was thinking, gosh, what's, what's been the one thing? And that we were doing a programme up in Keithley. And, um, and, you know, not exactly the first place that springs to mind as a fishing as centre of the world. Um, but um, we went to um, a, a fishery and somebody cast out for this young lad and he hooked a fish. I didn't really know what to do with it. So <laughs> next thing I do, I, I turn around and he's got the line, the fly line over his shoulder and he's running up the grassy bank, towing this fish <laughs> and the fish is aquaplaning across the surface. <laughs> And he said, and he brings it to the bank. And it's the quickest thing. I mean, if you ever want to bring in a salmon quickly, try it. And he brought it up. I said, what on earth do you do? He said, well, that's what we do back at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh, you, uh, wonderful. Wonderful. So really, you're, you're taking these um, children who have, have difficulties in, in learning or kind of assimilating to, to school in an ordinary sense and seeing their lives transformed through yeah. through we're opening their eyes to the possibilities it. it's incredible so it's it's life affirming it's joyous it's heartbreaking it's every mm. emotion that you've ever come across i mean i i remember <laughs> there was a lovely chap called jeffrey um up in stockport who'd been in a wheelchair can't couldn't speak had to all the discussions were through a tablet you know which he tapped out and all his life, he'd been given fishing tackle. He, you know, somebody had worked out he liked to go fishing, or he, they thought he liked to go fishing, and they gave him all this stuff. And I got there, and I said, well, great, Jeffrey, this is fantastic. No one had ever asked him if he'd like to go fishing. So he got all this stuff. I said, well, hadn't we better take you fishing? And we got him a bream. And um, you, the smile, the, the joy on that boy's face is incredible, just yeah. incredible. And... I've got so many visions like that and you can't mend all the society. You know, I'm a realist and you can only just scratch a very tiny part of the surface, but what you can do is offer a little bit of hope and you do it through angling and they'll never forget it. No, that, that really is incredible. Um, and, and I think that at this time, particularly, you know, as we're, everyone's uh, struggling, that message of hope, um, uh, you know, that, and the call kind of to lift your eyes, beyond the immediate horizon that concerns mm. your your everyday life is um is very powerful and and uh lastly on on hope where where do you see it going in the future and what are your what are your hopes for it after um the pandemic passes well obviously it's going to be in a, a period of assessment but we're going to grow mm. it, i'm not going to let this one go i've got the way i look at it i'm i'm 67 now i don't feel it but um I've still got another marathon left in me. Um, but um, I'm, I'm definitely, 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 you know, four years, I'm going to just drive this as hard as I can, then pass it on to somebody to take it in another, another direction. Um, but 
you know, the one thing is that fishing for schools is established, it's here, it's been seen by everybody really that is coming into contact with the leading angling educational body out there. Um, and I just want to see it grow because I know the good it can do. I know the people's lives it can change and it can touch. And for that reason, it's worth continuing. It's worth fighting for. It's worth driving ever forward. So it really is. I absolutely agree. Perfect. Well, thank you, Charles. Um, on that note, I think we'll sign off. But thank you so much for joining us. It's been excellent to chat and amazing to hear about uh, fishing for schools. And if you've been listening to it, I would urge you to... Uh, go on to the Fishing for Schools website and have a look and read about all of these stories and testimonies and the incredible work that uh, Charles has done and consider supporting it because it really does make a huge difference to these young people's lives. Thank you very much, Charles. Sam, thank you. Take care.